Hi, I'm Dave Scott. I'm pastor of Crossway Community Church, and I want to welcome you. Crossway is a church simply committed to making disciples. We meet at 1501 Woodbury Road. It's off of Colonial and Fort Wayne in East Orlando. Come check us out. I look forward to meeting you. Well, um, when Donna and I got married, you know, you begin this journey of getting to know each other, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, they say men are from Mars and women are from Venus. I don't, y'all can't relate to that, right? Any, no? <laughs> um, and, uh, and Donna and I, in case you haven't noticed yet, are total opposites. Uh, and it works for us. Um, uh, but God also uses it for our growth and stretching us. Uh, but when we first got married, one of the big differences that I first really noticed in Donna was that for her, her relationship with God was something that she very much experienced emotionally and experientially. And um, my walk with the Lord, uh, and I'd been walking with the Lord for a number of years at that point, I won't say that I didn't, you know, ever feel anything, but it was definitely more analytical, and uh, it was it was not in the way that she would talk about her walk with the Lord. Um, and one of the things that I've realized over time, as I've uh, been on my own journey and reflecting back, is that uh, one of my challenges uh, in my own life has been to connect with the Father's heart uh, in an emotional, experiential way. Um, I know that God loves me. I know that he's my Father. But uh, it's been a challenge for me to really have that heart connection. And, and one of the reasons for that was, you know, when I grew up, my dad was a workaholic, and I don't ever remember him playing with me. Now, I had a very close relationship with my father from post-adolescence on, and uh, he probably had the most impact on me of, of any single person. But that kind of hardwired me in some ways. And I'm the youngest of six kids. Uh, we, we were kind of a tribe. But sometimes, you know, the thing about being in a crowd is you can get lost. And, uh, you know, I would say that I probably grew up... Uh, you know, more lonely, I think, even in the middle of that crowd, um, because there's four years between me and my next older brother. And uh, so for me, um, you know, I learned to do life on my own. I'm pretty independent uh, and uh, I have Scotch-Irish roots, so it kind of comes honest, I guess. Uh, But uh, so, you know, for me, um, you know, Learning how to be dependent on God as my Father uh, is, is, is a muscle that I have to continue to flex and exercise and grow. We come here in John 14, 2 verse 6. Uh, last week, we looked at the first five verses. And here, Jesus turns to one of his favorite topics, his favorite sermons, so to speak. And he's, that's talking about his Father. And so, from John chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 6. John chapter 14, starting in verse 6. Let me get my PowerPoint cooperating. Um, And you guys can follow along. All right. 
So once again, we're in the upper room now, and this is the Jesus' last impassioned um, conversation with his disciples before he dies. And he says, starting in verse 6, Jesus said to him, uh, sorry, can't read my Bible. <laughs> Why that's weird. Okay. It says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known that my Father, you would know my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. You know, we've been talking about the theme in John uh, is to believe and live. To believe in who Jesus is and through him to experience life. But in order to believe in Jesus, we also have to believe in the Father. Uh, Jesus referred to this in the previous passage. We believe in God, believe also in me. Um, the two are intimately connected together. And uh, growing in our understanding and our experience of God as our Father is a foundational part of our spiritual journey. The problem is that all of us uh, have had deeply flawed earthly fathers. Uh, and if, even if you've had a, uh, the best father in your life, um, uh, you know, the parents that shaped us were misshapen themselves. And so um, that's a challenge because how do we uh, then connect to God when we uh, have been uh, programmed with certain preconceived ideas of what a father figure is. Uh, Pete Scazzaro uh, says that, uh, and I love this quote of his, he says that we have Jesus in our hearts, but we have grandpa in our bones. <laughs> we have grandpa in our bones. And, uh, you know, it's so easy to think that just because I prayed to receive Christ and, you know, I've been a Christian for so long that, that everything in the past is all gone. But no, we, we have a baggage, Paul calls it our flesh, our old man, that we have to continue to unpack. Um, but uh, so what was your father like? If you knew your father, many of some of us don't know our fathers or, or he wasn't emotionally present. Um, but what kind of impact did that have on you or your mom? What kind of your parents? What kind of impact did that have on you today? That's a really important question because it definitely impacts your relationship with God, your relationship with your heavenly father. The main idea, I'd say, is uh, that following Jesus means allowing God to re-father us, to re-father us, based upon, not on our experience of, of another human being here, but based upon his character and who he is. And Jesus is wanting to unpack for us who his heavenly Father was. 
And so he says here in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus came to lead us to the Father. He came to, through knowing him to know the Father. You know, Jesus' main revelation uh, is, is that God is our Father. God as a Father, which uh, was not emphasized uh, very often in the Old Testament. And so you and I, in our own journey, are all in a process of relearning God as our Father. Uh, in John 1.18, says, uh, no, Jesus said, no one has seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's hand. He has made him known. The only God, the only Son, he's the one who's made the Father known. Uh, and, you know, before, uh, God had not made himself fully known as our Father. But Jesus is now reflecting that as a mirror showing us what God's heart is really like. And in Luke 10, 22, he says, No one knows who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so, uh, Jesus, more than anything, wants to reveal to your heart and to my heart who the Father is, so that we could know him, uh, the one who created us, uh, and the one who loves us. You know, uh, is uh, uh, God or the Father, is, is God being a Father just a biblical fact to you? Or is he a living, real person that you experience every day? Does your spirit connect with your Heavenly Father? Um, Jesus was father-centered. This was his foundation, his relationship with his father. And we see over and over again in the Gospels where he goes alone to spend time with his father. Um, and uh, that's why uh, the first point is that we need to relearn that I am a child of Abba. Abba is the uh, word in Aramaic for, for daddy. Um, and Jesus reveals God as our Abba. God is our Abba. He says, if you'd known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long you don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. When you see Jesus, do you see God as your Father? And we talk about Jesus' love for us. But Jesus' love for us is just an extension of the Father's love for us, an overflowing of our heavenly Abba. In Romans 8.15, uh, Paul's writing to the church, uh, the Christians in Rome. He says, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. God is now my Father. God is my Abba. And in Galatians 4, writing to the church of Galatians, Because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We're able to call out to God, Daddy. An incredibly uh, uh, close and intimate term of endearment. God is now my Father. God is my Abba. And so this was so important that in John 17, 3, um, Jesus defines eternal life as knowing God the Father. He said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. And the truth is, is it's going to take the rest of eternity for us to get to know God the Father because he's limitless, right? Um, you know, uh, we assume that we know our fathers. And, 
you know, the truth is, it's only as I've been an adult that I really began to reflect back on my, my, my father's upbringing that I really understood maybe more what was really going on in his life. There's, you know, a backstory that I never had really taken into account before. Um, my father grew up in the Great Depression. He lost a, uh, when he was six, he lost a brother who was eight. Um, his mom had an emotional breakdown as a result of that. He fought in World War II in the Pacific. Uh, and was involved in an amphibious invasion. There, you know, he, he grew up on a dirt farm in Oklahoma. There were so many things to his background that when I was a kid, I just didn't ever think about him as a person and why he was the way that he was. Um, and so uh, we need to relearn our identity based upon God's identity, right? Uh, for him, that we're the apple of his eye, uh, that eternal life is knowing our Heavenly Father, God, as our Father. But there's a couple things that are true of us, according to the New Testament. The first one is, is that God calls us adopted. He calls you adopted. In Ephesians, which, we t- which we'd studied last spring, says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Adoption means that you are special. And it means that I am special, that God chose us uh, uh, specifically to adopt us. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, he says, I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's not it's, it's both men and women that are adopted into God's family, sons and daughters. Um, so God calls us adopted. Uh, But he also, as a result, because he calls us adopted, he also calls us his child. And in the first chapter of John, John talked about that in verse 12, but to all who receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. So we're children of God based upon the work of Christ being adopted into his family. In 2 Corinthians, he says, I will be a father to you, and you will also be sons and daughters to me. Um, but if we're his child, it also means that God calls us his family. I'm from Second Ephesians, Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are members of the household of God. Um, you know, like I said, family I grew up in, six kids, it was like a big tribe. And uh, uh, <laughs> it was a big household. Um, whenever we moved somewhere, you know, it, it took a... It took a we, ended up living in this really big um, farmhouse uh, and uh, uh, b- because there were so many of us, uh, you know, but it, it, this idea of being members of a household, that God's adopted us. We're not strangers. We're not outside the family of God. He's brought us into his household. We are God's family now. But uh, because we're God's children, because he's adopted us, because we're in his family, it also means that we are now co-heirs with Christ. We're co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We have a Father who has inherited us. He, he has given us an inheritance, right? Um, and what incredible blessings they are, Paul says, is we are blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Um, as a result of our Father. Uh, But to understand this new identity, understand this inheritance, we have to learn the Father's heart. And that's why the second 
point from this is that we need to learn Abba's love. It's, yes, it's true that God is our Father, but for us to really unpack that, we have to understand His heart. We have to understand His love and how radical that is to us. Because the Father calls us beloved. He calls us beloved. First John 3. And of course, John the Apostle wrote not just the gospel, but he wrote the epistles of, 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 of First John, Second John, Third John. Uh, and uh, uh, um, here he's, and he's, that's why he's also called the, the, the apostle of love, because that's a major theme, not only in the Gospels, but in his epistles. But he says, so what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are, beloved. We are God's children now. We are beloved. We are God's children now. He calls us beloved, the one whom he's poured his heart, his love out on, Right? Literally, that's a pat that that's a, a name, but it's a name in the past tense that God had the one that God has loved, the one that He's revealed His love to. Can you hear the Father calling you beloved? When you get up and your feet hit the floor and you begin to enter your day, do you enter your day as one who is beloved? One whom God has shown his heart of love towards. Uh, later on in chapter 4 of First uh, John, uh, it says, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. God defines what love is because love is fundamental to his character. He's the fundamental model of what love means. And so, uh, if if we come to know him, it means knowing his love, you know. Uh, and here in, in the Gospel of John, uh, we see even in this, in this chapter, you know, as we looked at last week, that God has made us a heavenly home, right? That's an that's extension, an expression of his love uh, that God, we're going to look at next week. He's given us a helper, the Holy Spirit, because he loves us. Um, that he dwells with us and that he will be in us and, and with us. Verse 17, verse 18, he will not leave us as orphans. If God's adopted us, if he's called us his children, he's not going to leave us as orphans, no matter what circumstances we may feel or run into. You know, um, so um, you know, when we understand the Father's love, however, Jesus says we're also drawn to the Father's work. Jesus was so aligned with his Father's heart that he, he became a natural extension of the Father's work. And so not only do we need to relearn God as our Father and his heart, but also the Father's greater work. Look at verse 10. He says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. We need to align ourselves with and, and, and uh, learn what the Father is, is doing. Jesus said that he was about his Father's business when his parents found him in the temple. Are you about your Father's business? Or are you in a different business? It's so easy for us to be preoccupied right, with the busyness of our lives the details, our to-do list, um, and forget about the Father's business. What is his business in my life? Uh, 
And it's easy for us to make our life about our own business. And yet Jesus is very clear that he was about his father's business. Verse 11, believe me that I'm in the father and the father's in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. God has had a greater work for Christ to do, but he has a greater work for you and I to do as well. And uh, in verse 28, later on in the chapter, he says, You heard me to say, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I am. Why is the Father's work greater? The Father's work is greater because the Father is greater. You see that? He says, the Father's greater than I am. He was was talking about how the disciples, if you know, I said I'm going to go away from you, you wouldn't be upset if if you really considered the fact that I'm going to, to be with God the Father. Because he's the one who is the greatest of all. Um, and that's why Jesus aligned with his great father and was about doing his father's work. And then in John chapter 5, uh, verse 19, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, uh, uh, the son does likewise. You know, and so it's, it's like Simon Says. Y'all, y'all play Simon Says, right, when you're a kid? What Jesus says, he, he plays Simon Says. What I see the Father doing, I do. If I don't see my Father doing it, I'm not going to be doing it. And uh, he lived by Simon Says. But some of us are living a way that Simon did not say. <laughs> right? That's the trick of Simon Says, right? You see, Simon Says, touch your toes. Simon Says, scratch the top of your head. Simon says, rub your belly, blink your eyes. (laughs) Simon didn't say blink your eyes. Well, Jesus looked to his Father, and many times we're not following the Father, and we're not living like the Father. We're living in a way that Simon didn't say. Um, You know, uh, where do we come up with, you know, our assumptions about what life was supposed to bring us, what the Christian life was supposed to be about. Do we come up with those ourselves? Are we looking to the Father and what his word says is actually the truth? Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And whose will are you seeking? And that, this is a question we have to ask ourselves continually because... Uh, you know, Paul says that our lives should be a living sacrifice, uh, but the problem with living sacrifice is it crawls off the altar, and so we constantly have to put it back on there, right? Uh, I, I saw a, a, a really hilarious meme this week, and uh, y'all, y'all know the song, the country western song, Jesus Take the Wheel. Uh, who was it who sung that? Carrie Underwood, there you go, yeah. And so here, it was a, the meme was Jesus, and there were all these steering wheels on the wall, and, G- and Jesus is saying, this is the meme, Jesus is saying, this is my collection of steering wheels. <laughs> all the people Jesus said, take the wheel. Uh, but, uh, so, you know, uh, we have to turn over the lordship of our lives, not just to Jesus, but to his Father as well. He says in uh, John chapter uh, 17, verse 4. I glorified you on earth. He's speaking of his father. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. 
and I finished the work. He says, I accomplished the work. Whose work did Jesus finish, accomplish? The Father's work. Jesus finished the Father's work. Even Jesus said, I don't have my own agenda. I'm here on the Father's commission. I'm here on his errand. And one of the things I like to say is that God has given all of us a divine errand. Every day when you get up, God has sent you on a divine errand. He has a divine errand for you to do that's been given to you by God himself. Uh, And it's easy for us to forget that because there is no ordinary day. We know every day is ordained by God. It's written in his book, Before as Yet There Was One of Them, as as the psalmist said. Um, So, uh, you know, at Crossway here, we're here to equip you for the greater work of the Father. That's what we're here equipping one another, sharpening one another, as iron sharpens iron, right? For the greater work. Um, uh, So, you know, when... uh, uh, when one of you talks to your neighbor and begins to build a conversation, think you're thinking about possibly uh, you know, having a Hope Explore group, you're doing the greater work of the Father. When someone greets someone who comes here for the first time at the door, you're, that's, we're doing the greater work. We're about doing the work of hospitality. When y'all been painting in common, spent your time painting uh, the, the, the portables and the bathrooms, we're about, this is uh, the Father's work. We're creating a hospitable space that people will feel a place to, that is safe, a place where they're welcomed, a place where they belong. Um, you know, when you give time and energy to, to teach Crossway kids or to uh, participate in the service, right? Uh, this is, uh, we're doing the Father's work. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's, it's easy of us to say no to God's greater work because we feel like we got, we're, I got too much to do as it is. We don't think of it like we're turning down God the Father. But the truth is, is when we live by our own to-do list, we live by our own agenda, we miss this greater work that the Father wants in our lives. Um, and uh, so, um, you know, it's so easy for us, especially here in American culture, to be uh, what I call Christian consumers. Um, that we, you know, even to approach church consuming that, uh, as opposed to giving and being one who uh, the Holy Spirit bears fruit to bless other people's lives as opposed to just coming so that we will be filled and satisfied um, because God's called each one of us to, to be a blessing. It's so easy to choose the lesser work when God calls us to a greater work. Um, C.S. Lewis uh, in... Uh, One of his books is called The Way to Glory. It's an incredible um, explanation about what God's glory means. Literally, the word glory in Hebrew means weight. Um, But here's what he said. Uh, He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and with sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go about making mud pies in the slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And this is one of the main um, uh, arguments that John Piper has made, that Christianity is not about repressing desire. It's not about 
denying our desires. It's actually about our desires being fulfilled, fulfilled in the only one who can satisfy us, which is God himself, his glory. He's the only one who will satisfy us. We try to find life uh, in these, (laughs) sitting in a mud puddle, thinking that somehow this mud puddle will give us life. When the truth is God wants to bring us, right, to see his, his limitless ocean, the ocean of who he is, the ocean of his love, the ocean of his glory, the ocean of his grace. And so, um, you know, uh, y'all, y'all know if you've had kids, you know, when you complain that your kids won't get off the phone uh, or, you know, they won't stop playing video games. I mean, I know Donna and I had that conversation many, many times when our boys were growing up. But that's how God feels uh, towards us. You know, he has a greater work and a deeper relationship that he wants us to experience. And yet we're preoccupied. And he wants to call us, you know, like my mom... Uh, in the farmhouse I grew up in, she calls to supper, right? I can, I can hear her voice now saying, David, supper's ready! <laughs> and, uh, she calls to supper, but God wants to call us to supper every day, and yet we refuse to leave our room and to come downstairs. Um, you know, because we say we don't have time, like in a minute, I'll come in a minute. We're, but we're tired, and we... we, uh, we don't create the space in our lives that we need to in order to really be able to connect with our Father, you know. Um, and so uh, uh, we come to uh, what Jesus, this truth that Jesus is trying to explain to us, that he is uh, the reflection of his Father. And he says, I want you to believe not just in me, but I want you to believe in the heart of God that God is your father, that God loves you, that he wants you to be his child. He wants to have this intimate relationship restored with you now. You know, the first of every, uh, first Sunday of every month, we come to the Lord's table to communion. And as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about this, about God being our father, it reminded me of the passage in Luke 15. It's a very familiar story of the father, the story of the prodigal son. And uh, uh, Tim Keller says this is really the story of the prodigal God. Um, you know, uh, prodigal means extravagant. And the truth is, we focus on the extravagance of the son who spent his inheritance, but the real extravagance is the father, the extravagance of his grace. And in verse 20, after the son's spent his inheritance, uh, you know, it talks about how he returns to the father. In verse 20, it says, And he rose and he came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And he said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Uh, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this day my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it says, and they began to celebrate. The Father invites us to his table. He invites us to a feast uh, to, to remember the work of Christ, which is fundamentally uh, based on Christ's blood on the cross. We are readopted into God's family. That He's this is how He showed His love. Love is not that we loved him, but that God first loved us. And so we're going to come and celebrate the Lord's Supper here.
uh, and uh, you can come and just take the elements, the, the bread, which represents his body broken for us, and the, the juice, which represents his blood spilt for us. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this message from Crossway Community Church. Once again, we meet at 1045 on Sunday mornings at 1501 Woodbury Road, which is just off Colonial and 408 in East Orlando. Come check us out. I'll see you then.